local opposition. So, so I, I think there's sort of a concern that if different industrial development agencies and, and, and sort of more broadly different counties are taking very different approaches to wind and solar, it can sort of gum up the process because developers are going to have to do a lot of extra legwork that, you know, they're probably going to have to do anyways to figure out what places are, are sort of more friendly to renewables, what, what places might be more hostile, how they can negotiate um, with these local agencies to come up with an agreement that makes the project feasible. Yeah, I'm actually scanning your article right now. To, to, I'm trying to find the term that that I saw when you, when you when you actually like talk about oh uh, a primary risk to um that th- this is the opt outs and differing approaches of different IDAs pose a primary risk to rapid wind and solar build outs. That that kind of what you were just describing for us. Exactly, and and so that that term actually comes from a report that was done from the big uh, lobbying group for renewable energy developers. That it's a lobbying group for developers, and you know there are environmental groups uh, involved. So this is a group that's really concerned about uh, speeding up the rate at which the state is building renewable energy. And and what they basically said is like it's very complicated, um, and sort of there's a lot of variation from place to place. In, in terms of figuring out what the property tax burden is going to be, you know, what types of payments you're going to have to negotiate, um, and, and the ability of localities to sort of use this process to stop or really slow down a project um, is, is a huge risk, sort of especially as the state has streamlined other parts of the permitting process and actually taken some control away from localities in in being able to slow down that permitting process. Well, that's adjacent to what I was going to ask about next, because so far we've just been talking about stumbling blocks, essentially, or you know, speed bumps at the local level, opposition resistance at the local level in various forms. Is part of the response to this need to be, um, you know, state making things different, making the state coming up with solutions at the state level, um, whether that, you know, uh, takes power away from localities or just gives these developers other options. Is that anything that anybody you talked to brought up? Totally. That that was actually a big theme in the story, you know, and, and industrial development agencies have been under a lot of scrutiny. That's honestly been mostly negative from the state in recent years for being somewhat unscrupulous in, in handing out tax breaks um, and sort of not often having a lot to show for the incentives they're offering companies. So something that I heard from a number of people, primarily actually watchdogs for industrial development agencies, both within the government and and sort of nonprofit watchdogs, was we really should not be leaving these hugely important decisions about renewable energy development and, and project finances to IDAs. We should we should figure out how to um, you know set a standard system at the state level or or just incentivize these projects <clears throat> properly at the state level so that they don't need to seek property tax abatements to be viable. It, it was a big theme, you know, for a number of reasons, both, again, because of sort of um, concern about whether ideas have been doing their jobs properly, but also generally concern about the urgency of this build out, that this isn't really power that, you know, we should be leaving to these local agencies anyways. And we've been kind of big picture looking at this now just to uh, zoom back in on the IDAs within the existing uh, IDAs, whether they're being scrupulous or not. There's this debate as to whether or not um, 
uh, agencies, uh, projects like developing uh, clean energy even fall under their purview? Can you just talk a little bit about where that debate is? Yeah, this this is a great point. So a few years ago, the state did change the enabling statute. So basically the law that creates IDAs in order to include uh, renewable energy development as, as one of sort of the appropriate missions of an IDA. And yet the IDAs also have this mandate to create jobs for the incentives that they're handing out. So it's often sort of um, something that the state will criticize IDAs for is, you know, giving out millions of dollars and only having a job or two to show for it. In, in the case of wind and solar, what state watchdogs have found is that there is very little permanent job creation from these projects. There are often a lot of construction jobs, um, but, but you, you don't see, you know, you don't need people on the ground often to maintain a, a wind or solar farm. And so I think there's this legitimate question and you know, the people in charge of these IDAs are sort of in a bind where they're actually expected to have something to show in terms of permanent job creation for the tax breaks they're handing out. The state has, again, the state has sort of said, we want you to be doing renewable energy development. So obviously there's this recognition that they might be handing out, you know, property tax incentives without getting jobs in exchange for them. But they're in a little bit of a bind because they are supposed to be creating these jobs. And with some of these developers coming from out of state and then also the manufacturing behind the solar panels and the windmills possibly being out of state. I mean, it's understandable that somebody might look at those uh, tax breaks and say, well, that's essentially like taking local funds away twice. You're, you're taking these funds away to to go somewhere else and nothing's coming back. No, that's a great point. And, and, and sort of the last, um, you know, thing that's related is these are not typically projects that are providing power just to people locally. So it's a little bit tough to make the argument, oh, you know, we will um, build the wind farm and then, you know, your energy bills will get cheaper because they, they, they build these projects and then plug them into the grid and they, you know, provide energy for people across the state. So you're certainly right to suggest this isn't really something where you're seeing a lot of local economic benefit. Again, it's sort of, it's hugely important, essential for the state's climate goals um, for combating climate change, but it's not really clear that IDAs are, are sort of in the right position, uh, at least under their current mandates, to be, be doing the promotion of this type of project. Having done all this research and looked at this, uh, does, what is on the horizon here? Is this, uh, are these rumblings of IDAs um, not actually um, being made for this moment of not uh, having as much of a place in modern times as they might have had? Maybe it's signaling something about the nature of IDAs, or is this signaling that, you know, um, something else needs to be done to incentivize the development of renewables in New York State? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that, that has sort of been happening in, in recent years with renewable development in New York is the state is sort of coming up against uh, some of these barriers or obstacles that might have been a little bit unexpected and trying to address them. And and so this is the type of issue where I have to imagine if the state is serious about its climate goals, which at least some state agencies and many state lawmakers are, um, you know, they're, they're going to have to pay attention to this and figure out a way to streamline the process or provide some more certainty to developers or perhaps uh, give IDAs a little bit of 
less discretion. So I'm I'm definitely curious to see uh, in the upcoming legislative session and and from state regulators sort of what what they're thinking about this. Okay, well, Julie, is there anything else you want to share with folks before we go? Um, you know, I, I, I just think the other dynamic that I found really fascinating, you know, reporting the story is that the state has, again, this climate mandate. It, it has no choice but to do everything it can to meet it. Um, but it's certainly going to be felt unevenly across the state. And, and you know, there one thing that was really striking in this story is that I spoke with the head of the industrial development in Stuyven County, who actually said it has been huge for our local schools, um, for, for, you know, our local towns to have more wind and solar development here than in any other county in New York. They have seen wind and solar as basically this huge injection of revenue into their tax bases because what, what they sort of have are, are wind and solar farms being built on land that previously was not producing very much revenue. So there have actually been a few towns in New York where um, property owners were able to stop paying property taxes almost altogether because of new revenue being brought in by wind and solar. So I think that while some places are sort of seeing this as a tax giveaway, and it might be a tax giveaway because, you know, something else could be um, operating on the land that was producing more revenue, I think we're going to see that in other places, wind and solar um, are really sort of economic boons. We've been talking to New York Focus reporter Julia Rock. New York Focus is online at nysfocus.com. And uh, Julia's article is called How Unelected Local Officials Dole Out Wind and Solar Tax Breaks. You can find this article from New York Focus on our website, wjffradio.org. Julia, thank you so much for going over all this with us. Yeah, it was great to join you. Thanks for having me. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Jocelyn Kramer joining us live. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Radio Catskill supporters include Sullivan Catskills Visitors Association, SullivanCatskills.com, Catskill Brewery, Brewing ales, lagers, and mixed fermentation beers in a LEED Gold certified building, plus a food truck and beer garden at exit 96 off Route 17 in Livingston Manor. CatskillBrewery.com. And listeners like you who donate at WJFFRadio.org. This is Kusar Grace KG, right here in the place to be, WJFF Radio Catskill Music Emporium, Tuesday night, 7 to 9. Two hours of great music, jazz, funk, blues. I got mellow grooves that help you unwind, exciting rhythms that help you cut loose. Join me Tuesday night for the Music Emporium, 7 to 9, right here on Radio Catskill. Listen local. Mr. Kusar Grace will be in tonight at 7 with the Music Emporium, as you heard right there. And before that, we've got the Daily. And before that, it's the rest of the local edition. We're continuing to get reaction on this year's election. 
I believe we're already just a, a week out from Election Day tonight. We're going to focus on Wayne County, where all the incumbents successfully retained their seats, which is kind of what they wanted to do. Joining us on the phone to talk about it is Jocelyn Kramer, one of the three Wayne County commissioners. Welcome to the program, Jocelyn. Jason, thank you so much. How are you? Doing good, doing good. I say welcome back. It's great to have you back. So I know you're pretty busy, pretty busy working on the budget, but uh, could you first share your thoughts on uh, what winning another term as a commissioner means to you and uh, everybody getting reelected uh, in Wayne County uh, in the commissioners, what that means to That's a two-part question. So what's it mean to you? And then okay. what does it mean that your your co-commissioners got elected as well? Well, uh, for, for me personally, it was exciting. Um, I was very happy. I really, really wanted to be reelected, Jason. As you know, we've talked throughout the years. I love the job. There's an intense learning curve to it. Um, and I would say you really just start feeling comfortable in your second and third year. So uh, I was very happy with that. Um, for uh, listeners who aren't fully aware, Wayne County, um, our programs, our services are all managed by a three-person board of commissioners. Those three uh, positions are up for election every four years, all at the same time. They're not staggered. And in the spring, the um, parties, choose, in the primary election in the spring, the parties choose their candidates. So the most that can go through are two from each party, the Republican and Democrat. So there were four people running for three spots. Um, I was reelected, very happy about that, and so were the current two commissioners. Um, last year, uh, our then Wayne County Commissioner Joe Adams was successfully elected to the uh, House of Representatives at the state level, and so that left a vacancy. And the gentleman that was appointed, his name is James Shook. Um, James did choose to run for another term. Um, to quote him, he had said, you know, you don't learn this job to step in and do it a year and step away. So um, all three of us w did retain our spots on the Board of Commissioners. Um, it, for all three of us, I think there's a very good working relationship there. And I think that every one of us, each of us rather, um, works for everybody in the county. We really do. Uh, so you show up, you go to work, you're trying to do the best thing for the most people every day. And there's a good working relationship there, even if we look at the world in very different ways or certainly have different opinions on, on, on things. We are all benefiting from uh, respectful relationships where we continue to learn from each other, better understand some, you know, somebody else's perspectives as we continue to navigate the budget, uh, employee issues, uh, and, and things like that, Jason. So I'm always happy that a good working relationship means more is getting done for Wayne County. And now that you've been reelected, what specific issues or challenges do you uh, want to work on during uh, your upcoming term? So um, a lot of the things that we're working on, um, we have been working on, and you really want to see them through. So, uh, you know, people always say government moves at a slow pace, and that's true. So you've heard me talk about our broadband efforts and our application with the Pennsylvania Broadband Authority. I am extremely excited to see that through, and we'll have updates on that in the next couple of months. The approvals will start coming out. 
But even aside from that, Jason, what I'm seeing is a lot of private industry also submitting for some of these funds. We're going to see progress um, in Wayne County, significant progress over the next couple of years. It sparked a lot of competition. Um, Internet service provider companies have decided whether they're going to invest in fiber to the home or not. Some of them are doing it without uh, any kind of state or federal assistance, which is great for Wayne County. Um, but the whole first round of funding is coming down the pike soon. And behind that, there's a, a federal round of funding from the, pencil, uh, the from the bead money, which is broadband equity and affordability program. So that's something I want to keep working on. You have heard me discuss our recovery to work ecosystem. What that is, is a campus of services where drug and alcohol rehabilitation is co-mingled with behavioral health um, services so that people who are suffering, um, truly suffering in our community, drug and alcohol, behavioral health, both of them, have a greater sense of recovery because these uh, services are commingled. With that, there would be a workforce component so people can be trained or retrained as um, employment needs shift in our area so that once people are stable, then we help make them productive. Um, we need these services here, Jason. They are sorely lacking. Um, so if people are able to find these services here in their community uh, with their families and their support networks here and in place, um, that is something we feel very strongly about and have quite a bit of funding for. So we are working our way through that. Um, and we have an Ag Innovation Center that's in planning as well. And, and, you know, all of this stuff, I've been working on it now for four years, and I really want to see some of these things uh, come to fruition. I hear you. Um, now, and I also know you wanted to talk about the budget. Of course, taxes were a big talking point <laughs> during the election as well. We've got uh, just uh, about two and a half minutes uh, to talk about uh, some takeaways from this upcoming uh, budget. What are you looking at? What do you want folks to know? So we are in the midst of that right now, and no final decisions have been made. I know that we're all committed to um, trying not to raise taxes this year, and I think we will land there, Jason, but nothing official yet. Um, and the reason why I say that is because when we did the reassessment two years ago, um, you know, that for some people that was a significant jump in taxes, um, but it was a correction of how we valued property. So I do believe it's more fair now. Now we'd like to be able to balance our budget with the revenue that that generates. Um, we still have a lot of grant funding and state funding to help us run a lot of these programs. Um, so right now our budget is looking okay, but again, have not finished this process nor put it through our public meetings yet. That will happen in the next couple of weeks. Uh, next week is our CCAP conference, the County Commissioners Association of Pennsylvania. Um, all three of us are very active in that, so that's an incredible learning uh, experience for us. What is driving our budget and what we need to keep our eye on are uh, wages, uh, salaries and wages. And the people that run our programs at the county, we are incredibly fortunate. And we've got to take care of them in a way that allows them to do what they do. So there's a lot of effort um, and input into 
our employee situations right now, Jason, across the board, you know, um, the county has always been a great job, not because the hourly rate is so great and people do um, struggle with that sometimes, but the back end benefits are incredible. And our pension is a defined pension plan with income for life after your retirement. Um, but we, we are struggling since COVID. Um, the world and the employment opportunities have changed, and we need to take care of people. We need to figure this out in this new era, and, and that is an awful lot of what we spend our time on as well. And when when will the budget be done, and when will folks know about it? So we'll be publishing our budget within the next couple of weeks, and we've got to keep it public for a couple of weeks before it's officially adopted and approved before the end of the year. Unlike this, you know, we can't not pass a budget, and we have to, we will, um, so it'll be posted in the next couple of weeks uh, and uh, for public review, and it'll be adopted before the end of the year. Okay. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us, and also uh, congratulations. I appreciate that. Jason, it always goes so fast. There's so many things I, I would love to get into, and we'll do more of these in the new year. Thank you for your attention uh, on Wayne County, um, and um, uh, look forward to talking to you a lot more in 2024. All right. Same here. Maybe we'll talk to you again before 2024. We'll see what happens. Thanks so much, I'd Jocelyn Kramer. Yes. Jason, have a great day. Thank you so much. You too. Jocelyn Kramer, Wayne County Commissioner. Newly reelected, taking us out of the local edition. That's it. I want to thank you so much for listening. Do keep listening to Radio Catskill on air, online at WJFFradio.org, on your smartphone, your smart devices. Ask it to play Radio Catskill. I will be back tomorrow night to do the local edition all over again. We'll do our weekly news roundup with the River Reporter. Uh, we've got the daily coming up next. Before we get to it, I do want to let you know, uh, partly cloudy tonight, overnight low, overnight low down to 25 in our listening area. Tomorrow will be a mix of clouds and sun in the morning, cloudy in the afternoon, high getting up to 48. This is Radio Catskill, public radio for the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania.